Is this thing on? Yes, it is. Are you sure? I'm 100% sure. All right. <laughs> Welcome, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to your source for solace. I am Sawyer Talegdi. And I'm Amanda Shimoon. I am the owner of the Shred Shop Wellness Complex here in Windsor. And Amanda is my trusty sidekick. <laughs> Together, we are going to help ladies everywhere find their confidence, courage, understand all the different types of attractiveness and how to harness your own. Uh, we will teach you and help bring out your most assertive self. We'll help you understand your own value uh, and truly, truly start to feel some serious self-worth and absolutely help you find solace, which is just a fancy word for inner peace. So if you're down to ride that train, buckle up and let's go. Hello, friends. It's just you and I today. I have decided to interrupt our regular programming to bring to you a small nutrition piece. The reason I chose to do this this week is I know we are winding down to the end of, uh, I don't know if it's March break or Easter break or break break or spring break or whatever we are calling this random uh, break that did not happen in March. I just know that um, when you're kind of left to your own vices, you know, we've got 28 days of a lockdown. Um, then most of you are going to have your children home. If you are not a teacher, you are not at home with them. But, you know, there's a lot of added stresses going on on a daily basis. And our nutrition can be 100% affected by where we are at mentally, right? We've got triggers. We fall off the wagon. We mess something up. We have all or nothing thinking. Whereas if we make one little slip up with our nutrition, we cancel the rest of the week or the two weeks. You, One of you or all of you can identify with some sort of nutrition-based guilt or feeling when it comes to eating right? We've all been there. Um, we've all cared what we look like. We've all cared what we've put into our body. And we've all had feelings about what we eat when we eat them. So a little bit of background. Um, I'm sure I've mentioned it mul multiple times uh, on these podcasts that my dad is a psychologist. More importantly, my dad was a child psychologist, but he also specializes in... Um, I'm not going to categorize it and say it's specific to addiction, but the addictions that we have that can be treated outside of an actual facility, right? So with the exception of having to go like into an actual live-in facility to battle, you know, a drug addiction or alcoholism, but when we talk about like smoking or um, food, because that can be an addiction, very much so, right? Some of the uh, addictions that require a little bit less intense programming in order to kind of curb the way we think about it, he's specialized in. So he's got a lot of information about how the brain works. And from a very early age, I was always very, very, very intrigued um, 
around nutrition, around how the body works, around what makes people tick. And uh, I stumbled years ago across a few different articles that he had that he was reading through or working on um, about the psychology of food and how our thoughts contribute to the digestion and food storage. So one of the most fundamental building blocks of nutritional metabolism is actually neither vitamin, mineral, nor molecule. Okay, the most fundamental building block is our relationship with food. This relationship with food is as deep and revealing as any we might ever have. And I'm sure some of you right away are nodding your head, yes, okay? It sums up the total of our innermost thoughts and feelings about what we eat. So the relationship you have with food can have sparked years ago. It can be a positive one. It can be a negative one. It can be a confusing one. It can be a roller coaster or a yo-yo. It can be depressing. It can be anxious or anxiety ridding. Like we all have some sort of relationship with food one way or another. In fact, how each of us think about eating is so profoundly relative that if a group of us were looking at the same plate of food, Not two people would see the same thing or even metabolize it the same way. Okay, so for example, if we were to examine a plate and on that plate I've got pasta, I've got chicken, and I've got salad. So it kind of sounds like we're at a wedding, okay? We're at Kaboto Club. We've got some sort of wedding hall venue food. We've got chicken, pasta, salad, okay? Someone wanting to lose weight, if that's their overall goal, they might see calories versus fat or calories and fat, Okay, you'd probably respond favorably to the chicken and the salad, but you would view the pasta with fear. Am I right? Now, an athlete looking at that same plate, maybe trying to gain muscle mass, okay, for their sport, for their craft, they might look at this same meal and see protein. They might focus on the chicken and look past the other foods. Now, if we've got a pure vegetarian... This vegetarian would likely see a distasteful sight of a dead animal and wouldn't want anything else on the plate. Nothing that it touched would they eat. Now, if there was a chicken farmer and the chicken farmer, on the other hand, looks at this plate, they would likely be proud to see a good piece of meat. Then we've got someone trying to heal disease through their diet. Maybe this person would see potential medicine Or maybe this person would see potential poison, depending on whether or not the plate of food is permissible on their chosen diet. Lastly, if we had a scientist studying the same exact plate of chicken pasta salad, they would maybe be studying the nutrient content in the food and would see a collection of chemicals. So do you see how every single person would view that, their brain would see something different, causing their neurons to fire different reactions to what they were processing. Are you starting to catch my drift here? Okay. So what is amazing is that each of these eaters will metabolize that same meal completely differently in response to their unique thoughts about what they see on that plate. In other words, what you think and feel about food can be equally as important a a determinant of its nutritional value 
and its effect on body weight as the actual nutrients themselves. You understanding what I'm saying? How you think and feel about what you're eating when you eat it can almost be as important as what you're actually putting in your mouth. Did I just blow your mind? I hope so, because the first time I came across this shit, my mind was absolutely blown. Okay, so like we need to break down the science behind it, okay? I can talk all this game all day long. Whether you choose to believe it is not up to me, but I do have science on my side here, so let me break this down for you a little bit. This is how your brain eats, okay? The information highway of your brain, okay, your spinal cord, your nerve endings, it's like a telephone system through which your mind communicates with your digestive organs, Okay, let's say you're about to eat an ice cream cone. So I want all of you to take a moment and I want you to imagine an ice cream cone. Okay, now my favorite flavor is mint chocolate chip ice cream cone and um, sometimes a waffle cone, but usually the waffle cone's a bit much for me to eat. So I tend to just stay on um, the sugar cone train. But all in all, I just never do those little like really crunchy like the kitty cones. I'm not about that life. If I'm having a cone, I'm making it taste good. So put that picture in your brain, okay? For me, I have mint chocolate chip. Maybe it's a little bit melted. It's probably from Baskin Robbins because I like the shaved chips rather than the actual full mini chocolate chips themselves. I also like the flavor. I've got my eyes closed right now while I'm envisioning this. I like the flavor of the mint. It's a bit less sweet. Um, and they're cones, obviously Baskin Robbins, they're cones. Okay. So I know it's not small business, but I've been eating Baskin Robbins since I was a kid. So just bear with me on this. Now I'm in I'm in imagining that in my head, the image of that ice cream cone that I have, that you have, whatever flavor is yours. It's, it's appearing right now in the higher center of your brain. Okay. That's your cerebral cortex. If you're a Grey's Anatomy fan, you're probably following along just fine right now. If you're not, I'm about to teach you what's up. So from there, Okay, the information is relayed electrochemically to the limbic system, which is considered the lower portion of the brain. So you've got the visual stimulus in the front of the brain, the cerebral cortex, and now that is going to shoot electrochemically to the back of the brain, the lower back portion. The limbic system, this is the system that regulates your emotions and key psychological functions such as hunger, thirst, temperature, sex drive, heart rate, and blood pressure. So everything you visualize filters through the limbic system. It filters through that back lower portion of the brain that monitors all those things I just mentioned. Okay, so every single thing that you view, every single thing you imagine, or every single thing that you see, before your body can register it, it's passing through the part of you that regulates an emotional connection to it. Like that tells your body you're hunger, hungry or you're thirsty or regulates what your sex drive is, how, how much you feel like being sexually active or what your heart rate is, what your blood pressure is, right? That's crazy to me. Within that limbic system, there's a pea-sized collection of tissue and that's known as the hypothalamus, which integrates the activity of the mind with the biology of the body. So in other words, that little hypothalamus takes sensory emotions and thought input and introduces this information into a physiological response. That is nothing short of a miracle. So what you see goes to the back of the brain through the emotional response and then down into the hypothalamus, which initiates a physical response. So what you think and how you feel are completely related biochemically, electrochemically, all of this. Now, 
If that ice cream cone that you envisioned is your favorite flavor, okay, say for me, mint chocolate chip, and I consume it with a full measure of delight, okay, I am so excited. I am so happy to be eating this ice cream cone. I've earned it. I've deserved it. I worked my ass off all week for it. I have no guilt associated with this ice cream cone. The hypothalamus will modulate this positive input by sending activation signals via the parasympathetic nerve fibers to the salivary glands, esophagus, stomach, intestines, I believe pancreas, liver, and your gallbladder, okay? So the hypothalamus is going to send an input all the way down to all of those organs that are responsible for digestion, and digestion will be stimulated. It's going to start just from me imagining and envisioning, if I think long enough about that ice cream cone, without actually eating it. If I can put myself in a state of focus on that ice cream cone to the point where I can almost taste it, I can actually stimulate a digestion process in my body just from my mental thinking. Okay? Now, if you actually eat the whole thing with those positive intentions, the digestion will be fuller. So we have a fuller metabolic breakdown of the ice cream cone while burning the calories more efficiently. So like that to me is a fucking miracle that that can happen. Having positive intent in what I eat will genuinely stimulate a more fuller metabolic breakdown of the food as well as burn the calories of whatever it is that I'm consuming more efficiently because the positive intention in my brain has sent wavelengths to the rest of my body to respond that way. Now, obviously, there's another side to this, which most of us probably experience more regularly. If you are feeling guilty about this ice cream cone or judging yourself for eating it, the hypothalamus will take this negative input and send signals down that same sympathetic fibers, right? Those same wavelengths right down to the nervous system, and this will initiate inhibitory response. The inhibitory response in the digestive organs means that you'll be eating your ice cream cone, but you will not be fully metabolizing it. Okay, so inhibitory, right? If you inhibit, if you inhibit the way you feel, you're closing it up. You're not fully experiencing it, right? We're your inhibitions, right? The things that you keep close to you, the things that you don't let other people know about. That's what that word means. So we've got these digestive organs that are now going to be told, "Mm, don't work at your full capacity because the brain is not responding positively to what we're doing. Okay. It may, the food that you're eating while you're feeling that way, number one, you may not fully metabolize that ice cream cone. It also might stay in your digestive system, in your digestive tract a bit longer, because everything has now slowed and become sluggish, which can and will diminish your population of healthy gut bacteria, which we know with a healthy gut means a healthy immune system. And especially during this time, it's very important for us to have a healthy immune system. But it might also increase the release of toxic byproducts into the bloodstream. Okay. Furthermore, to drive my point home, Inhibitory signals in the nervous system can decrease your calorie burning efficiency via increased insulin and cortisol. And we know cortisol is a stress hormone. Okay, so which all of that would cause you to store more of your guilt infused ice cream cone 
as body fat. Raising the insulin levels, we're raising the stress hormones. The body's not working as efficiently. Now that ice cream cone is not going to break down the way it was supposed to. And you're running the risk of it not only staying in your intestinal tract longer, polluting the gut flora and making you know, everything bacteria increased um, and toxic byproducts increased into the bloodstream. Super nasty. Okay, so let me explain this a bit further. Because right now, okay, it's a lot of science, but let me put the emotion to the science portion of this, okay? Here is something you need to know. Like when I just said that your cortisol levels and your insulin levels, like your stress hormone is going to be elevated. How, what do you mean? Like how is that possible? How can an, an, how can me eating cause stress on my body? Okay, here's something you need to know. Your brain does not distinguish between a real stressor and an imagined one. And here's how you know, okay? Anyone at work, your boss comes up to you and your boss says, uh, hey Sawyer, at the end of your workday, can you come find me? We need to talk. And just walks away. I immediately want to shit my pants. Okay, my stomach has curled up into a little ball. It's tucked itself neatly underneath my esophagus. My bowels are about to explode because I am so nervous. My body starts to shake and I can't concentrate. That happens to me all the time. I'm not anxious. I'm not an anxious person. I don't have anxiety that I know of. I've not been diagnosed, right? Um, But just as a normal, relatively healthy, functioning human being, simple words like that, bring my stress level so high that I have a physical response, okay? Maybe some of you can relate to public speaking. You have to do a presentation. You have to get up in front of a group. Do you immediately feel like you're going to throw up or poop your pants at the same time? You start to shake and get nervous. You start to sweat. Okay, nothing's happened. There's not a real stressor in your life, but there's a situation or there's a thought. There is even, you know, sometimes we can even create that, right? So imagine... You reflect maybe on a bad relationship and you're sitting in your room and you're by yourself, but you're thinking about what went wrong, what went sideways in that relationship. Okay, how do you feel? Your stomach starts to hurt. You start to get angry. Your face maybe gets hot. Your ears get hot. Maybe you start to sweat, right? Just mentally reliving experiences or thinking about something to an extent or worrying or being feeling guilty about something generates this physical response, right? So now that you have all been kind of like, okay, okay, I get where you're going with this, Sawyer. Like what I think about can sometimes cause a physical response, right? Increased heart rate, blood pressure, followed by decreased digestive function. When you get nervous and you feel like you have to poop or you get nervous and you feel like your stomach is in a ball or you get angry and you want to throw up because you're so mad, that's all the digestive areas. All those digestive organs are the ones that are tight and contracted. Do you lose your appetite? Do you feel so nauseous sometimes because you're so nervous or worried or stressed that you can't eat? Some of us overeat when we get stressed and some of us are unable to. Those of you who are unable to, you're a prime example of your digestive tract being affected and you not actually being able to break down food in that moment of stress. So now, if you feel that way, if you feel stressed out, if you are creating these mental stressors, raising your cortisol level while you eat, you can now see how your body is not going to be able to effectively break that food down as it would have been if you were more relaxed. Am I starting to kind of 
like create a relationship between these two thoughts? Are you starting to understand kind of how your body responds to your mental cognitive awareness and what you're thinking? So any guilt about food, shame about the body, or judgment about health are considered stressors by the brain, and they are immediately sent into their electrochemical equivalents in the body. So right away, it is sent into the little hypothalamus, and there is a negative physical response that is going to happen, okay? Which means you could eat the healthiest meal on the planet, but if you're thinking toxic thoughts, the digestion of your food goes down, and the fat storage and meta- I'm sorry and your fat storage metabolism may go up likewise you could also be eating a nutritionally challenged meal which means you could be eating a flex meal or a cheat meal or something that doesn't have a ton of nutritional integrity but if your head and your heart are in the right place at the time of consumption the nutritive power of your food will be increased so that means that even if you are eating a piece of pizza, if you're doing it happily with no guilt associated with it, the pizza is going to break down better than if you were to eat it with guilty feelings. Okay, now, because I love knowledge, I dug a little deeper and to fully appreciate the power of mind over metabolism or mind over matter, I want to have a look at one of the most compelling, pardon me, phenomenons in science, the placebo effect. We're all very aware of the placebo effect in medicine, in, you know, mental studies, in um, physical studies, right? Here's my favorite example of this extraordinary force. Okay, now I know I had to go way back for this one, but I'm going to reference circa 1983. Okay, I was born in 87. So I'm like, this is even a few years before me. But sometimes you got to dig deep to find what can be really impactful. So in 1983, a group of medical researchers were testing a new chemotherapy treatment. Yes, we've been trying to fight cancer for this long, guys. One group of cancer patients received the actual drug being tested, while another group received a placebo, which was a fake, harmless, inert chemical substance, probably like a saline. So as you know, pharmaceutical companies are required by law to test all new drugs against a placebo to determine the true effectiveness. Okay, and that's true as of today as well. Uh, in the course of this study, no one thought twice when 74% of cancer patients receiving the real chemotherapy exhibited one of the most common side effects of this treatment. They lost all of their hair. So 74% of people who were genuinely receiving the chemotherapy treatment, they lost their hair. Of course they did. That's one of the side effects. Now, somehow, 31% of the patients that were on the placebo chemotherapy, which is that inert salt water, maybe uh, saline injection, okay? Now, you have to remember, if you've got a group of 20 people, 20 people all think they're either getting chemo or they're not. They're all sitting there. It's all hooked up the same way. They spend an hour of their day. They sit there. They eat the popsicle, right? Like they're treated as though you don't know. Only the doctors know who's receiving it and who's not. So they're all having the same experience. They're going. They're getting injected. There's a bag, an IV bag. It's dripping into their bloodstream, okay? So going through that experience, not knowing whether you're actually getting the proper drug or not to save your life. 31% of these patients that were receiving the saline solution also lost their freaking hair, okay? So this is the power of expectation. 
The only reason 31% of those people that were getting saline, there's fucking salt water in their veins. No reason for them to lose their hair. But because they associated, and we all do, chemotherapy with losing their hair. The only reason they lost their hair is because they believed they would. Like many, they associated chemotherapy with going bald. So my question is, if the mind is powerful enough to make our hair fall out when we take a placebo, what do you think happens when we think to ourselves, this cake is fattening, I really shouldn't be eating it. Or I'm going to eat this fried chicken, but I know it's bad for me. Right then and there, you've associated this negative, this guilty, this I'm aware I'm doing something wrong. You've associated this negative feeling. Of course, your body is going to react. Look at how powerful the mind is. Now, certainly I'm not saying that we could eat poison without any harm if we believe it's good for us. Okay, like let's not get that twisted. But I am suggesting that what we believe about any substance we consume can powerfully influence how it affects the body. I'm asking you to just consider that. Every day, millions of people eat and drink while they think strong and convincing thoughts about their meal. Now, consider a few of these that you've heard your entire life, right? Salt will raise my blood sugar. I'm sorry, sorry. Salt will raise my blood pressure. Uh, Carbs will make me fat, right? We've all heard that one. How about sugar will rot my teeth? Okay, I can't make it through the day without my coffee. Or this calcium will make my bones strong. Now, to a certain degree, obviously some of these statements are true, okay? Yes, sugar is not great for the teeth. And yes, calcium is known to make the bones stronger. But is it possible that for some of the other ones, we are instigating these facts? Is it possible that the only reason why you cannot make it through a day without your cup of coffee is because you've told yourself multiple times you cannot make it through your day without a cup of coffee? Could it be? I'm just asking you to think outside the box. I'm just asking you, maybe. And if these effects are the inert result of eating these foods, can you see how we can enhance those results with the potency of our expectation? So maybe carbs do gain, do help you gain weight. Maybe bad carbs do make us fatter. Yeah, okay, that's science. But is it possible that the more negative association we have with eating those carbohydrates, maybe they actually get packed on the body even more so? Is it possible that yes, sodium raises your blood pressure, but the more we stress about it, the more we think about it, the more we worry about it when we eat the salt, could it actually make our blood pressure go higher because we're manifesting that mentally? Just, just my thoughts of the day here, okay? Now, it amazes me that very few in the scientific community have made this obvious connection between mental psychology of food. It is a surprise to me that you cannot type this into Google so readily available and find a document that would genuinely support. And again, I am not referencing anything when I say all of these things to you, right? I am just from my own research and from my life experience and from old textbooks that my father, who was a psychologist, had lying around the house. These are conclusions and through my knowledge and through my decades of experience, these are things that I've been able to put together and my knowledge and love for the human brain and the human body, right? This is genuinely a passion for me to learn about this and then share it with you. You can choose to say that I'm a quack and that none of this is relative whatsoever 
or you can choose to be open-minded and just maybe think about what it is you think about when you eat. So we have made the connection when it comes to how we feel about ourselves, but not so much how we feel about ourselves while we are in fact eating and what those chemical changes can be and how they occur in the body. So can you see the importance of your inner world when it comes to metabolizing a meal? Can you see the importance of changing the script and talking to yourself in a calm, collective, guilt-free kind of way? And not only will that help you metabolize and break down food, but it will also, I mean, turn your self-image around, Like, right? There's so many reasons why we should have a positive self-dialogue in our heads, no matter how hard that can be. You know, can we talk about an inner dialogue more and more and more and make it more okay to talk about? There's a lot of people walking around with hate in their heart for themselves and we don't bring it up. So I want to open that conversation and I hope that this has made you think and I hope that this has really helped you to be ready to bring a happier, more relaxed self to your next meal. Now, my last question to you is, if I'm asking you to eat something that you probably denote as unhealthy, if I'm asking you to eat that without guilt, how in the hell do we eat shitty with no guilt? And my answer to you is easy, and it's one I preach every day. It is to earn your food. Now, I'm, I, will end, I will leave you with this. If we rewind centuries... Our ancestors did not sit on the couch and download the Skip the Dishes app, not move all day, and have a 3,000-calorie meal delivered to their front porch. That's not the natural intention of how we should eat. If we go back to our ancestors, were they not running barefoot with spears chasing after their food or walking uphill kilometers a day and bringing buckets of water back to drink and cook with? Were they not planting seeds and then harvesting those seeds? There was a lot of manual labor associated with our ability to eat. If we do not remember that, we are always going to struggle with this. The way to eat guilt-free is to earn your food. And it's not a new concept and shame on society forever believing that it, or ever making us believe that it was. It should not be that easy. What is the luxury we get to go to the grocery store and pick up hamburgers that are already a dead animal, already skinned, already chopped, already ground, already put into a little patty and all I have to do is put it on my grill. That is a luxury to me. But if I expect to eat that and not gain weight from it, then I have to earn it. And it's not realistic that I go into the bush and chase after a deer with a spear. That's not realistic. But it is realistic that I work out and that I walk and that I run or that I am physically active in one way every single day so that I can sit down to anything in front of me completely guilt-free and enjoy it Know that my body is sending positive receptors down into my digestive tract so that it is not being stored inappropriately and that I'm able to break it down as waste and let it excrete my body, excrete out of my body in a timely fashion. That is how we are intended to eat. So put that in your pipe and you can smoke on that or put it in your back pocket and you can sit on that. 
I truly believe that if we all stopped and thought about our food to table and what role we play in all of that, I think it would be very insightful. So I want to thank you guys. I will leave you with that. I want to thank you guys so much for listening. I hope that if you've never heard me talk about this topic before, um, I opened your eyes a little bit. There is so much more going on that uh, a lot of you, you know, don't know so much about. And uh, I'm happy to share it with you. Uh, During this lockdown and during every lockdown, um, I host a nutritional seminar on Zoom for all of our members. uh, And I welcome and invite every single one of you to come and be a part of that with us. Uh, The next one I will be hosting is April 25th. That's a Sunday morning at 11 a.m. So if you are interested in joining, please feel free to reach out on our social media accounts, uh, shredshop.inc. Uh, reach out to me directly or you can in uh, I'm sorry you can email us at info at shredshop.ca and I will be happy to send you the zoom link thanks again for your attention guys I hope that I uh, you know shed some light on some shit have a wonderful rest of your day